everyone. Welcome to the Communication Solution Podcast. My name is John Gilbert, and we have our director, Casey Jackson, right here. And we are here today to help you, as always, with improving the outcomes for the individuals, organizations, and communities that you serve with a motivational right. interviewing lens. So to do that today, we have a topic that was submitted that's very common that I know you know about, Casey, from all these trainings. Well, how do I use MI on them? How do I get them to change? How can I use MI on someone so that they do what they what I want them to do, right? Like this sort of mindset of coming in and using MI on people. So we could take this in so many different directions. We got a shorter Absolutely. podcast of around 10 minutes <laughs> a day. So I'm just going to kind of want to see where you want to start with all this of to that sort of inquiry or someone that comes in thinking that's what motivational interviewing is, is techniques to technique people into change. Well, I'll tell you, just the first thing I think of is it absolutely works to help you get people to do what you want. If what you want for them is for them to be the best version of themselves based on their values and their goals and not yours. So it's really, (laughs) really (laughs) effective for that. So if your ultimate goal is to be this benevolent, supportive individual to help people be the best version of themselves and support their autonomy, and they become the version of themselves that they want themselves to be, MI is absolutely the most effective thing you can use to be able to do that. Anything short of that? What you want them to do? That's a great answer, by the way. That was very smooth. Now, what if their version of how- I knew the topic was going to be, so of course I knew I was going to come up with a good answer for that. What if their version of happier, healthier is not pro-social or it doesn't align with what you want, or there's something off about what they're defining versus what you're defining? Yeah, that, that's, you mean from that egocentric perspective? Yes. Um, from that egocentric perspective, then MI is not going to be a tool that you use because you're wanting people to do what you want them to do, which is a compliance model. That's not a behavior change model. Mm-hmm. Motivational and fundamentally is to help people change their behaviors, modify, evolve their behaviors. So they become the version of themselves that they want to be based on their values and their goals. So, so can I use motivation to get somebody to do what I want them to do? Anything short of what I just said, no, it, it's not indicated for that. That Everything that you want someone else to do is compliance. You want their behavior to line up with your values and your goals or someone else's values and goals, which means you're trying to control that person or shape or mold them into what you want or what someone else wants them to be. That is not what motivation is, is designed for. It's not what it was you know, intended to be. It's not the spirit behind motivational interviewing. What if I've been through a situation, let's say it could be parenting, it could be all sorts of things. I've sure. been through a situation, I'm a teacher, I'm a whatever, and right. I've been through this situation and I know that they would be better if they kind of took a different route because I've been there too, be it if I was an alcoholic and now I'm a peer advocate or something, I've right. been there too. And so I'm just telling them what they, you know, I know would be good for them to do. And so I'm trying to use reflections and open-ended questions to kind of get them to see what I want them to see. So I'm trying to be helpful. So how does, how is the, the helpfulness, how is that different than motivational interviewing or how does that all play out? Well, there's just absolutely no way to underplay lived experience. Lived experience is lived experience. There is so much value. There's so much richness to be mined within lived experience. So if you've had experiences in any of those as a peer, as a parent, as a, you know, from whatever perspective that you have lived experience, that lived experience is invaluable. It, it is not the catalyst for someone else to change their life it was a catalyst for you to change your life. It could be a catalyst for them to change their life or to improve their life, but it's how do you communicate that effectively? So there is so 
much value. There's very good data about why peer support services are effective, but peer support services were not designed to create long-term behavior change. So there's value in sharing your lived experience, but it depends on what you're trying to do, which gets back into how do I get them to do what I want them to do, which is like, that's a behavior change or it's a compliance model. It's behavior change, trying to use your worldview and impose it on their worldview to make them change will generate resistance. And the other thing I think of is even with lived experience. So by that basic theory, which is oversimplified, but just based on lived experience, I really want to share with them and shape them and make them be who I want them to be. How well does that work for parents? I mean, what's the biggest fear for parents when their kids go off to college? That they're not going to be able to control them. They're going to go, go, be, go wild. Well, that's because they're going to go do what they want to do instead of what, you know, the lived experience is shared. You know, so whether it's, you know, teen pregnancy, whether it's, you know, well, I use drugs and this is what it did to me or whether, yeah, this way I talked to my boss and that's how I got fired. So you need to not do that. I mean, it's information that each individual is going to process that in a way that works for their values and their goals. And they're going to either accept the information or they're going to reject the information. And what we know is if you're generating resistance by trying to impose your will on someone else, it is going to generate pushback or resistance. Mm -hmm. So the math doesn't work well for mm -hmm. trying to use motivational interviewing to get people to do what you want them to do. It's A, it's not the spirit of motivational interviewing. It's also not the way that the skill set is orchestrated. Mm -hmm. it's, it, so, so, I mean, there's just, it's, there's, there's no way that you are using uh, a very MI-specific recipe that is fidelity-based, that is exactly motivational. It looks like, smells like, tastes like, everything about it is motivational interviewing, and you're using that to get somebody to do what you want them to do. Those two things don't reconcile. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is this is where, as you're talking about this, you kind of mentioning the math, and, and I know something that you've kind of coined is like the physics of motivational interviewing, the physics of behavior change communication with a motivational interviewing lens, right? And so right. I want to talk through this a little bit as, as, as we're talking about this kind of how can I get people to do well, what if it's something I don't agree or all that, all right. that you'd mentioned like what is and what is not effective. So there's one point that I want to kind of bring up of you to talk around, well, how do we know of if we're being effective or not? Because, you know, one person I said this to, they were like motivated by it and open to it. So they, that was different than this but some of the time that doesn't happen. So what's going on there? You know, of what is, how can I know if something's effective or not, right? So that's one point. Another seems to be this underlying piece that doesn't get talked about a lot because it's not directly connected with motivational interviewing, but is this whole thing called self-determination. And there's a whole theory called self-determination. Right. There. right. And, and I think the, the point of, okay, what is effective, what is not, how does self-determination factor into this? Right. And, at, and at a certain point, as you're, talking through this what are we what are we really talking about when we're talking about long-term change in that process as well so kind of effectiveness self-determination and long-term change how does that factor when you're trying to talk with someone and help them out and support them well i i mean just you take the first theory you talked about and it's self-determination i mean that, <laughs> that that kind of sums up the whole briefer podcast right there it's self-determination so how do I get someone else to do what I want them to do is not self-determination. And then we look at, you know, the data you and I've talked about around self-affirmation, the highest correlation with following through on a behavior change. So I think this is why it's helped to distinguish between do you want compliance or do you want behavior change? If you want them to jump through the hoop, 
you can use the carrot or the stick to get them to jump through the hoop. Jumping through the hoop does not generate sustained long-term behavior change because then you have to continue with carrots and sticks to continue that happen. As soon as there's no carrot or there's no stick, that behavior is going to titrate over time. It's going to dissipate over time in those situations. So what you're doing is the clearer they get about their own values, truly who are they as an individual? What are their ultimate goals on a deeper level? What does that mean to them? How does it identify who they are as a person, which gets into some of these theories you're talking about? When that gets more clear, the person's brain will start to, to you know, kind of problem solve. What behaviors do I need to do to, to align with that? And so th that's where they may take in other information, but that information is going to be taken in to see how does this evolve or, or move myself forward. Okay. Um, not to make that other person happy, which people do from a codependency perspective, but it usually doesn't generate sustained long-term behavior change. Yeah. I mean, that speaks to all sorts of wisdom traditions and things we could get into is how, you know, you're the source of your emotions. You're the source of your happiness. We could go deep right. into that. And if, those are interested. I know Casey and I love talking about that stuff. So if you're interested, let us know. But the idea of where we just came from is what is effective and what isn't from the self-determined. It's that they're clear of who they want to be, why they want to be it. And they're aligning their behaviors and following through and taking responsibility to be that and lit up to be that and finding that not depending on others for it. They might seek supports, but they're not dependent on others for it. So right. that's one of the, and part of that effectiveness it sounded like too, is that they're not like, yeah, butting you and constantly pushing back. And you're not sensing this discord or resistance with them to be effective is to help them clarify priorities right. and align accordingly. Like that's the effective. Well, right. And, and when you think about it, I mean, if you, again, point to a succinct concrete idea is let's just say that you're, spouse or your partner or your friend or your parent wants you to be this perfect physical specimen and they believe that you should be vegan and they believe that you should be you know a fitness model and so they try to make you do that because they're attached to your outcome do you think that's going to generate zero resistance when they take your meat away from you and they say this is what you have to do as soon as somebody tries to get you to do what they want you to do, it is almost mathematically impossible that it's not going to generate some level of pushback. Or like you said, the yeah, but it's, it's just, when you look at the preponderance of how most people are going to respond, it's going to be some level of, well, that, I'm not going to do that, or I don't want to do that, or I don't really care about that. It's going to generate a resistance response. So- yeah, this, this also taps into one of the questions earlier too, is like, well, what about those people that are open to it? Well, they're probably already open and motivated for some sort of fitness model thing, or they already wanted to be more plant-based or whatever. Now you're tapping into that. But like you're pointing out, the, the research shows us that's for most people, most of the time, that's not where they're at when they come into a healthcare setting. That's not where they're at with their spouse. They're, most people, most of the time you're getting at are not ready for someone to introduce all these changes and then be really motivated for it. There are a very slim slice of people that might be there, but we treat everyone almost like they're there and ready for it when there's a whole approach of leading up to that same information right. as it relates to who they want to be. That seems to be the key effectiveness factor in all this. Well, and, and by definition, from what you just said, they have just identified that their behavior is not where they want it to be which is why they're seeking information and other ideas and other suggestions, which is different. But the dynamic is exactly the same. It still comes down to that individual has made a decision. They are not where they want to be. 
So they're seeking information and guidance from that. So people may think that's an opportunity to go, how do I get them to do what I want them to do? Mm -hmm. But the reality is that the, the, the primal, the very prime catalyst for that is that they have a self-awareness. They look in the mirror and it's not the complete picture that they want for themselves. So people can look at that as an opportunity to get them to do what they want them to do. But fundamentally, it still comes down to that same basic construct of self-determination theory, of self-efficacy, of that level of autonomy or personal agency. Like it's going to still come back to that individual. Well, and then that brings up as, as we're, we only have a few minutes left. So I'm thinking of where to kind of shape it to, to bring this, but it's like, well, there, then that speaks to what you said of the, the peer support groups earlier of like, there's a place for support. There's a place absolutely, for support, absolutely, and that's helpful. And at a certain point, how dependent are you on that versus how independent are you with that helping you along the way? And that's a hundred percent key distinction of the codependency we were talking about where there's a reason why we choose partners in life and things that that help support us but the more you depend on that partner the more you depend on that peer support group and the more it's less diversified and into just one thing the more you got to be careful that you might not be really as self-determined as you thought and that now you're becoming reliant and less motivated unless this person does this thing and it just doesn't likely motivate you as much or you're dependent on that motivation outside of yourself versus what you said inside ourselves to make that change well and and the thing that i think of is it, it does come down you know that when we can talk all the theory parts of it too and then i bring it down to the real world as soon as you said the codependency piece is that you do have individuals that want their behavior to line up with somebody else's values i want to be who you want me to be mm -hmm. i'll do anything to be who you want me to be but mm -hmm. what ends up happening there is by definition they're surrendering self for the other mm. it's i'll do whatever you want me to do i'll be whoever you want me to be and 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 we know that there are not very there's an end of probably zero where that works out in that person's best interest in the long run mm. and that by following what everybody else wants them to be that they end up being a better person they can't be a better person they're just an amalgam of what everybody wants them to be that's that's not the individual or the self so you to be what somebody else wants you to be even mm -hmm. doesn't bode well the original question is, how do I get people to get me to, you know, to do? And it's, it's a tall order. And again, it really has nothing to do with motivational interview. I mean, just <laughs> if you're trying to do what you want them to do, that's just not the model. There's other models around manipulation and coercion and, and things like that. And again, low likelihood can generate long-term sustained behavior change. Well, as, as we're thinking about this time in history, the kind of the last question I'll throw out, we'll go a few, few minutes over for this one, because this is so critical to what's been happening during this time in history right now, is to be thinking about, okay, well, I don't want to lose myself. I don't want to be lost. So I get the codependency thing. I get that there's a whole psychology around not you know, just losing myself and everyone else. And then where am I at, you know, midlife sure. crisis sort of thing. So I get sure. that. <laughs> I get that I really need to not be attached to this person's outcome. So like we talk about attached to the process of right. how you're facilitating possible change based off of what, who they want to be. So let's say we get that, but let's say that there's this thing, like you just said in family life or what's happening in society, I'm attached to the outcome. I right. believe this 
this thing that I think what they're thinking is a conspiracy theory, or I believe this thing in politics, and I think they're wrong and I'm right, and I need to get them to see, or I need that conspiracy theorist to see, and we get attached to these really strong emotions of getting people to see. So how would MI, if at all, fit into kind of addressing someone with a, that we see as a conspiracy theory or addressing someone uh, with a different political view or someone in our family that we wanna get to change, right? Like how does MI relate to that? Which could be a whole long podcast, but- what Well, that is a separate about? podcast. Clearly <laughs> that's a separate podcast. That is way too much to answer in a, a pithy one minute summary before we wrap up a 10 minute podcast. <laughs> what, I, what I will say is that it, again, what it comes down to is how attached are you to that outcome? your own emotional reaction, which starts to pull you out of equipoise based on completely your writing reflex for what you think is right. So, I mean, th th that's the contamination. That's the difficulty right there. The, what I like about the beauty and motivational interviewing is it starts to clean that up about, okay, what is this really about? What am I really trying to do? If I have my own conviction, that's different than standing on a pulpit and trying to convince the entire world about my conviction. You know, that, and, and people are called to do those kind of things, which is perfectly fine but it doesn't mean it's going to change. What does this have to do with my behavior change and is my behavior line with my values? For some people that absolutely lines up with that. But again, the, the coercion side of it is how do I get people to do what I want them to do? Well, there's multiple other models between, you, know, you can look at cult leaders, you can look at you know getting those kind of followers, those followings. There's all sorts of ways to manipulate and coerce people, but it's not going to be a behavior change model. And that is basically the antithesis of motivational interviewing. So, so, so it goes back to the original, you know, question podcast is, can I use motivation to get people to do what I want them to do? So the answer is no, unless what you're trying to do is empower an individual to be the best version of themselves based on their values and their goals. So, and so if you're going to do that, as we're coming to a close, there are plenty of resources we'll point you towards with other podcasts we've dived deep into, but it really is the simplicity that you're getting at Casey of like, how can I be changed to see change? How can I allow yeah. this person's reality to influence me to see the world from a different angle that I don't need to agree with, but I can acknowledge and start there because I'd want them to acknowledge my reality and be curious about my reality. So how do I start and do that? Well, that takes a skill development, an awareness, an emotional self-regulation with writing reflex and equipoise. And I just wanted to mention, those are the sorts of things that we get into, not only other podcasts, but also our, our membership where we do skill buildings and all sorts of stuff like that. So if this does serve you, we got plenty of resources to dive into that, both free Definitely. as more in, uh, intensive ones to help you with that, that this isn't just some concept, it's actionable things that you can implement personal life, professional life, that hopefully would serve you to help others be who they want they, to be, that usually make pro-social choices when you kind of get into that. But that takes a faith and we can riff off of this more. If you have more questions, we, our contact person is Tammy. She's not on today, but that's T-A-M-I dot C-A-L-A-I-S, Tammy Calais, at ifioc.com. She takes all the sorts of questions. If you want to say, hey, what about this, though, when a family member does that, or this happens in politics, or this goes on, we'll address it here on the podcast or one of our uh, membership services. And we just want to engage you with this to make this as much about you as we possibly can. As we're wrapping up, is there anything else, Casey, you wanted to add before we call it a day? I think that's it. Okay, well, we are the communication solution here to be the communication solution to change your world. So thank you so much for listening. Hopefully it's worth your time and we look forward to engaging you with our other things in the future. Take care. See you later. Thank you.